let's chat. Hey, is there a reason you're not putting the theme music in the podcast anymore? Because I'm lazy. Oh, are we already recording? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Okay. So, <laughs> question one: What happened to the podcast music? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, I think I, I think I just got lazy with it, yeah. and uh, I, it just it flowed better if we just talked. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. To me, I love that intro music. Yeah, me too. And it's great, but I hear it a lot. You have to edit it. No, it's easy to oh. throw in, but I hear it a lot, and so I think to myself like. Do I need to put it in right now? Yeah. Do people need to hear I it? I miss it. Um, well, how about I put it in right now? Okay. <laughs> okay, we're back. All right, we're back. Welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective Podcast. I'm Kevin Miner. I'm Matt Pfeiffer. Yep, and we're here with Drew Cochran. Whoa, hey, Drew. That's hey. his own intro and everything. Yeah, that Look was at this. We that don't was... even... All right, Drew, go. He's, he's doing <laughs> well, it all yeah, today. You, know, you do the legwork. Welcome <laughs> to the Upstate Coffee Collective. I'm your host, uh, Kevin Miner. <laughs> no, not... No, you're Drew Cochran. Oh, okay. All you're right. Drew Cochran. No, I was just saying, you just take the podcast, just talk to yeah, people. Yeah, well, sure. if you want, minutes, we'll just we'll take here off. And sip yeah. How about that economy? Oh, <laughs> not so good, man. It was good over on your end of the table. Your economy was great. You didn't have to pay your numbered mana cost for things. Oh, boy. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, my mana economy, not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I got my ass kicked by, by Drew. Honestly, yeah. Can we just start off by saying, all right, I just played my second, second game of game. Magic ever. Commander. Yeah, Com- yeah, Commander. Uh, and wow, I just watched Drew drop to two life points. Yep, and then win the game, beat everybody. Yeah, <laughs> black, black mana, crazy. baby, black mana. That's so all I gotta crazy. say. Well, Matt, yeah, you got caught up between two players trying to show off how strong their black was. It was a pissing <laughs> contest. Like, yeah, yeah it we really were was. Definitely. I was like, well, I'm going to make you lose life. He's like, well, I'm going to lose life. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> also, I also I'll lose it faster. <laughs> I also want to mention right now the podcast configuration is a little different. Kevin is sitting in the guest chair. I know. Uh, and he has, Drew, if, if you can see, as Kevin talks, the mic will just slowly move away. <laughs> That's how we intimidate our, our guests. That's great. We make you know, the just, mic yeah. move away from yeah, them. it's just like psychology games. Yeah, yeah. scare them. Yeah, uh, Drew, you've never been on the podcast before. I'm I don't know how surprising. you've been on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah, we've been friends for years and years. Um, who are you? How are you? And what do you do for the people listening who don't know who you are? Oh God, uh, my name is Drew Cochran. Uh, I don't know. How do you define yourself? How are you? I'm doing pretty great. This great. coffee is good. Yeah. The temperature is actually perfect. Yeah, it is the perfect drink of temperature. A little cold yep. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, keep what do you do to probably what we're going to talk about? Sure. Because you're, you contain multitudes. I kind of yes. want to know the multitudes, though. All right. Hit it. Well, hit us with the primary of the, the focus of the conversation. The rest of the podcast is just Drew listing off it's things. It's his he resume. Does. That's, yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> welcome, I'm Drew, Drew welcome Cochran. To the Drew Cochran resume <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Episode one. Yeah. Yes. All right. You can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm an author, I guess, a game designer. Yes. You're I'm an, an author. You are a published 
author and game designer. Yes. Self-published for the most part. Um, but I guess in the multitudes, um, I am a sort of a biblical scholar, I guess. I mean, I went to college for that. Yeah. I was a missionary. Um, you were a librarian. I, I have been a librarian <laughs> once upon a time. Dude, you... <laughs> no, okay, so you are... You call yourself a self-published author, but you had... You are an equity published author you you are published by people who invest in the equity of your projects and you are published by people who invest in the projects themselves correct right? so i have also been a, published in the other way yeah in limited oh sense. cool so yeah so you're an author cool and a game designer cool well yes. i'm gonna be 30 soon so i need to have something to show for yeah. it right <laughs> youngest one in the room he's got to have something to show for it no, I'm the youngest oh, one. Wait, there. you're the youngest. Wait, when's your birthday? December twentieth, my guy. Of ninety two. Yes, sir. <sighs> you are the youngest. I'm the baby. Youngest September the for baby. me. Oof. September. Yeah. What Yay. day? Twenty second. Nice. Yeah. That's that's yep. the day my little brother was born. No. Whoa. Really? Yeah. Whoa. I didn't know that. There you go. The oh, more crazy. you know. Yeah. Good birthday. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. the and my social security number yeah. is yeah. yeah. Hold on, let me get my pen. Wait, what yeah. episode are we on? I might have to give away. We're mine. getting close. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, I, I did have to take a look because we've been, you know, especially in 2020, uh, but also for the most part of 2021, we were very consistent. Yeah. At least every other week. I said it was like episode 800 or something. Which so would we're, mean we're years. way off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're talking, you got to be at Joe Rogan numbers for me to give away my social security info. Yeah. Yeah. And Rogan. if I don't, I don't think he's done Shame that on me. But I'm okay with that shame. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nobody wants those numbers. True. Um, we're talking Kevin. about what you do. Yeah, <laughs> I and I'm sorry. I had to walk away to let the dog up, but I Your heard dog is adorable. Isn't she so mm. freaking cute? It's unbelievable. Um, I had to bring her up, but I did hear that you went. Uh, you studied the theology, Bible. correct? Yes, and you were a um, missionary. Correct. That's really cool. Thanks. How did <laughs> so? I want to touch on that for a second because I I find that really interesting. Yeah. Um. I want to know how long was that sort of your primary focus for your life, and at what point did you transition? Was it was it a hard transition to, you know, more of this kind of stuff, uh, or I don't know? Tell me about that a little bit. All right, so uh, you know, born and raised Goofy Church, bro, right? Goofy Church with the fam, nice, and yep. that was a great ride. Yeah, yeah, up through high school. That's where I first met you. Yeah, Goofy there Church, it was. bro. Yeah, at the Unitarian, we broed out. Broed it up. Wait, right. well, you actually went to church of the Unitarian? No, church. no, no. Oh, I was like, I played metal shows no, there, dude. He saw those shows. I was I there. Know. Yeah, I he know. was there. He was an impressionable youth. Yeah, I got so impressed. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, I went to uh, Bible College up near Rochester, New York. This little place called Elam Bible Institute. Mm -hmm. um, straight out of high school, I was like, you know what? I could either rack up a bunch of bills. And pay for a really expensive college to learn a trade that might benefit me fiscally. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. And I was like, no, I'm having fun on this campus with these other similarly goofy folks. Yep. Let's get goofy. Mm -hmm. And then I just pursued that for the next three years. I learned a lot about the Bible. I learned a lot of things that I ended up unlearning a little bit as I learned more about the Bible. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Can I dig into that a little bit? What, Absolutely. So you, what I'm hearing is you, you know, you learned the traditional theory of the Bible, and then I'm assuming you learned more about like sort of the the 
more modern analysis of the Bible that made you question what you learned? Or So um, the thing is, the Bible is such a politicized topic, right? Politics yes. and religion, that's what you don't bring up at family dinner. But right? it is exactly what you bring up on a podcast. Yes, <laughs> let's go. So, yeah, yeah, give us an example of something that during your time at Elam, you unlearned. All right. So, yeah, a little, little context there. Um, so, yeah, everybody that who's going to tell you about the Bible believes something strongly about it. Sure. Either consciously or unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if they are someone who spent a lot of time on it, then they're going to fall into, generally speaking, um, one of several camps that's either largely accepted in America or a little more fringe. Right now, Protestantism is like the big thing, right? So yeah. most of the sort of Christian right, if you call it, will fall into um, a set of beliefs that are exposed by uh, Protestant theologians that were born in America, right? right? <laughs> so we have this thing called the American church. Yep. Um, and then you can sort of throw in what is somewhat of a pejorative, uh, the the evangelical term, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot of those sort of leanings when I was just growing up in the church in New York, right? Yeah. Um, at Elam, they're very charismatic. So um, there's a thing about charismatic Christianity where it's a bit more almost you, I'm saying this but it's not perhaps the best word but like a little more Eastern in its approach towards spirituality in that mm. it expects um, the invisible world that Christianity claims to interact with does in fact exist and that you can interact with the God that Christianity believes in mm. and that he will interact back with you because he does exist and he is not a figment in your mind um, which I think a lot of the American evangelicalism kind of believes to a certain degree. Right. Um, so, yeah, Elon was very charismatic, but also they had some very conservative positions, which I have some conservative biblical positions. Yeah. But anyways, to answer Kevin's question. <laughs> yeah, what's something you <laughs> unlearned? We were trying to not open the can of words. I just opened yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, so one thing I unlearned. Rapture theology mm. is one of my favorite things to talk about. I'm sorry, you guys. Well, it's the no, most metal. This is so, this it's is the so most sick. metal thing to talk about. It's the uh, most metal part of the Bible. Yeah, for and, sure. And Drew, Drew got in the car to drive here today, mm. and uh, a a very heavy, heavy metal band came on, and Drew went, "Ah, uh, did I tell you about these guys?" Which is <laughs> you, that's the opposite. Normally, it's me telling people, and yeah. I was like, I was like, I think you mentioned them to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Darko, right? Yeah, Darko. Yeah, they're they're Real pretty. Good. Anyway, pretty juicy. So rap- talk to me about what what did you learn about the rapture theology? So here's the thing, right? TLDR on rapture theology uh, <laughs> in in America. If you're not you know aware of this, you might not be because that's how things are going right now, which is fine. Um, <clears throat> a lot of mainline Christians believe that the return of Christ is imminent and it's going to happen very soon. And what that entails is uh, basically. Armageddon (laughs) in the biblical sense that things are going to go really south really fast. Dragon coming up from the sea. Some whole deal. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, it's in there. (laughs) In the Bible? Yeah, dude. Well, we can talk about it. I don't know. We have an hour. We can talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get, yeah that's that's part of the rest. But anyways, of part of the, it's sort of like the end of the world, right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's the mainline American interpretation. Um, and inside of this, um, 
Jesus comes back. Yeah, he returns. From the sky. Yep. And then uh, all of the Christians, they evaporate, and then they leave to go to heaven. And then the rest of the bad stuff happens on earth to all of the sinners that have not accepted Christ into their heart, yet uh, this, that, the other. I'm kind of... I'm kind of characterizing it in perhaps a less charitable way, but I'm trying to... You're doing the TLDR. TLDR for a reason. TLDR with a little color, which is totally fine. Yeah, I I understand. But the thing is, um, what I've come to unlearn is that there's there's very little scriptural support of there being a literal event. Um, And most of the contents of the book that is quoted... um, for this sort of theology is written in the context of a prophetic tone. Mm. And what that is, is uh, there's a precedent inside of the Old Testament, which is Hebrew theology that was before the conception of Jesus. Sure, uh, the Messiah was a thing and the angel of the Lord was a thing. Um, But in prophetic language, Isaiah... um, Ezekiel, etc. They would have all of these vast poetical statements, and they would say, you know, the stars are going to fall, the mountains will crack open, the earth will open up. These kind of uh, vast, sort of apocalyptic wordings, yeah. but they would not be literally uh, understood. There was a lexicon inside of the Hebrew understanding of the time. Mm. It was all encoded. Interesting. Okay. So the main sort of code there, heaven and earth, right, is such a biblical phrase, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's such an epic phrase, and I love that statement, heaven and earth, because it's so totality yeah. of existence, but yeah, then it also brings focus yeah. to the human existence. Yes. Because we are on earth striving for whatever we imagine heaven to be. Um but the thing is, inside of the Hebrew lexicon, inside of that prophetic context, the words heaven and earth are often referring to literally the the Jewish temple, the tabernacle. So, yeah. Oh. You can make me pause for a second because I'm going really fast, really deep. No, no, no. no we're no, we're no, tracking. No, this is good. Yeah, I'm with tracking. You. So, yeah. in the old um, tabernacle of what we call, as Christians, the old covenant, yes. which is the Mosaic covenant, Ten Commandments, bro. Right. <laughs> and I probably say this on every podcast that I guest on, but my favorite movie of all time is Prince of Egypt. It makes you cry every time I watch it. Ugh. They're, they Never don't make movies it. like oh, that. Dude, even if you're secular, that movie should make you cry. Yeah. It's Moses, man. Um, well, just you, you can even turn your mic right. so it's facing you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Heaven yeah. and Earth. Makes you cry. There are different sort of furnitures inside of, these are holy um, places inside of the Hebrew temple Mm. where they will uh, sort of make sacrifices and atone for their sins by shedding the blood of an animal, this, that, the other. There's priests inside of the temple that will kind of walk the people that go in through that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's different sections of the temple as it's laid out. In the front is where the um, the person will go in with their sacrifice to perform whatever function that they're doing. They kind of like walk around in a kind of diamond shape in and out. Mm-hmm. But then there's this other section in the back uh, where only the priests can go. And then there's another section in the middle too. But the very back is called the Holy of Holies. And back in the day, um, according to tradition, the Ark of the Covenant dwelled there. And that is the, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark the golden uh, little chamber in which the Ten Commandments and the Rod of Aaron 
uh, which is the staff that Moses did the you know miracles Part of the through, sea and all that, all that stuff, yep. um, is contained in there. And uh, as you know, the Bible says that the the Spirit of God dwelled in that place, and the totality of the Spirit of God was there, such that if anyone who was not permitted or uh, cleansed entered into that room, they would be killed on the spot, just wow. die, yeah. just yeah. die because of the the sort of ingrained sin inside of themselves. It was contaminated. It could not be in the proximity of that holiness. That's kind of unlike Raiders of the Lost Ark. There you go. (laughs) Good job, Spielberg. (laughs) Nice. But anyways, uh, going through all this to say that it was common parlance that they would refer to the different parts of the tabernacle as heaven and earth. Mm. So the Holy of Holies was heaven. Yep. It was the perfect place where the spirit of God dwelled. And then earth is where man resided and would come and interact. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the Hebrews is that their whole culture revolved around this temple and the Torah. They literally taught the whole uh, first five books of the Bible to all their kids. They had to memorize it Mm -hmm. before they were like 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And that was their grade school. Wow. Oral tradition. They memorized the whole thing. Deuteronomy is really boring. Yeah. That's an intense amount of memorization. Imagine like the cultural ramifications of that. Anyways, I could. To be go fair, on. they didn't have Fortnite back then. They didn't have no. Fortnite dances. <laughs> no t- There's no TikTok. So you know, like that, that that probably that probably was like the viral craze was uh, memorizing the Torah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that that so, so that it, yeah. that phrase "heaven and earth" though is referring to specific places inside of a church. But then, what's funny is it gets carried over into Christianity, and, it, and they don't have any context. context. Right, yeah. right. And it sounds like it sounds like Christianity, modern Christianity, literalizes a lot of these things that You're were more metaphorical. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And yeah. so, okay, so, so yeah, so <laughs> just to tie a bow on it, we asked originally, we were saying, what did you what something you unlearned? And that was that, for instance, modern Christianity is literalizing things that are Some aren't. of the interpretation of yeah. heaven and earth, yeah. Um, and then, you know, you decided to just dabble with... Uh, D and D and Satan and all that stuff, and that was just you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah completely yeah. turn around. <laughs> no, um, well, hold Drew on. Y'all got me in my theology brain. I know, I know. I'm just messing with you. Okay. No, Drew we, and I re-met at church, and right. Drew handed me. Um, this is actually really cool. You'll you'll want to know about this too. Drew handed me like an 82 page epic poem. He actually that he wrote. Yes, he actually <laughs> told me about this. He goes, and, "You don't know him, my friend Drew. You'll never under you'll you'll never guess what he did." He's like, yeah. I ran into him in church, and he's like, "Hey, check this thing out. I wrote it. You should maybe take. You should maybe read it." I go, "Hey, that's cool. He must have wrote like an essay or something." Did you read? I haven't read it. He okay, read it. good. I Thank read God. it four okay. times. Really? And some of it is still over my head, uh. but I still have it. So Drew, no one's ever done this to me before, right? At, or since, but Drew handed me. I think it's eighty-two pages. Still, the version that you handed. Yep. Me. It's it's an epic poem in a world that he completely constructed with some of the most dense metaphoric imagery I've ever read because like there are like multiple references embedded in some of the characters and scenes that like if you don't know all of the historical and like analogous context for everything happening the syntax is just lost on you. Right. And I'm reading it and I'm just, and it starts off with like, 
like the raiding of essentially like an empire like a palace like and just burning of a city and i like you just jump right into like the first page is just like people being like things are being ransacked people being murdered and i'm like oh my god like i i sat down and i was like sipping espresso reading this and i was like casual holy crap literally and, uh, holy crap yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, ding 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 and uh and that and then Drew was like, yeah, that's all part of a game that I'm designing. <laughs> and I was like, what? So I got to know. Okay. I, I so we still, we have to make a connection now, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. we, we jumped into this, uh, we jumped into this conversation, you know, asking a little bit about your background. Yeah. You know, you have this background in theology. You've obviously read a lot of scripture. You've probably read a lot of, um, probably a lot of books from a lot of different, um, religions, mm. right. As a part of your study. I'm assuming that the I'm assuming that you know that's that kind of imagery and that that deep um you know creative writing uh must have influenced your ability to write these these games this game the epic of dreams that's what it's called right Correct yeah and it, am I right there and and were you given like were you given um inspiration from that background uh and maybe talk to us a little bit about how you even came to the idea that you were going to write yeah so it's all very much connected and i would say well before i do that i i just really need to finish the prior conversation <laughs> okay <laughs> oh yeah one yeah. sentence yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah what i unlearned from elam is that uh christians and the the world at large does not need to be afraid of this thing that we call the end of the world because uh, the grand meta-narrative of the Bible is that at, at the beginning of time, heaven and earth were one place, and it, it is the heart of God to bring that about again. There is no apocalypse for the world. There is an apocalypse for um, what was the old covenant, and the day of the Lord was an apocalyptic event that the Hebrews knew was coming to themselves. Um, mm. But it did not mean that it would be the destruction of the earth. Oh. God loves the earth. He created it and called it good. And he wants good for all of his children and for all of his creation. And his heart is that you, listener, would flourish and come to know how much he loves you. And that heaven and earth would become one in your life. And it is a theology, not a fear, that we would fear the coming of Jesus Christ, who is the best of us, but rather that we would be excited to work towards making earth look more like heaven so uh, that when he does return, everybody's having a party. Right. I love that. Yeah. Because you can, because obviously as somebody who is secular or non-secular, no, regardless, you can interpret that in such a way that basically just means like, do your best to make the world a better place. Yeah. Live your truth. And, um, you know, the, what is the, the core tenant of, um, Christianity, I think, which would be do unto others. That's not Christianity, but do that is, that is golden it? Yeah. rule. The golden rule. That okay. I was right. Yeah. That's my Jesus boy. Yeah. Do unto yeah. others as you would want done unto you. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I come from a from a background of Christianity myself. I I did uh, I I went to a, a private Catholic school from pre K to eighth grade, and then moved here and did public school and unlearned everything I learned. Yeah. And uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I have a lot of I, I put a lot of value into the the moral structure of a lot of religions. I think yeah. regardless, um, they all sort of tell the same story uh for human behavior which is uh mm -hmm. to treat people with love and affection and kindness and um yeah and that kind of thing so i yeah i think that wraps it up really well there cool Thanks. and now to answer your next question yes. all of this is very much connected for me because of sort of my charismatic experiences um just bringing me like there's times in my life where i've i felt the presence of god in my darkest moments and his love has sort of crushed me against the bitterness that I would have towards him um, inside of myself and mm. um, and and the love that he has shown me through those moments is definitely what has inspired um, the heart behind this game here and yeah the yeah. epic poetry stuff it's um, it's all very much tying into the first part of our theological conversation, them memorizing the Torah and having that sort of lexicon of uh, mythology in their common tongue. Mm. Um, all of them memorizing the Torah. Like the thing is when we read any literature that's sophisticated, like high literature, even the Bible, um, the Mahabharata and the divine comedy, we lose mm -hmm. so much oh, yeah. of the culture and the grandeur of, of the art of the thing that we're reading because it gets lost in translation. And we're also, I think trying to take it literally and we're sure. trying to place ourselves and our culture in the culture of the people that made it. Yes. Which mm -hmm. is very hard to do if impossible. Cause we're trying to have a reference point to connect these ancient stories, yes. both inside of a religious context, but also just in a literature context. Um, yeah, like Dante Alighieri, who wrote the Divine Comedy, um, you know, in Dante's Inferno, he was one of the most skilled Italian poets, mm -hmm. and he wrote his epic poetry not in the sophisticated tongue of Latin, which was what all of the sophisticated writers did, because... Uh, Dante himself looked up to Virgil, who wrote the Aeneid, which was written in Latin. Mm -hmm. uh, the culture was all about Latin. He wrote it in the common tongue of Italian, and he wrote some of the best verses that have ever been written in that language. And uh, whenever I want to read the Inferno, I can get a pretty good translation. But until I finally just decide to spend three years and learn ancient Italian, mm. then I will finally be able to enjoy that book for what it is. Yeah. Um, and trying to wrap this up is that both my writing and this role-playing game are trying to sort of bring people to that moment, not of necessarily experiencing the Christian God, but to experience that place where, um, they can believe in wonder again. Speechless. That was great. Yeah. That's really cool. So tell me a little bit more about how this game, maybe how this game plays. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Up, yeah. yeah. You, We're you looked at out. me. I've, I've played it, but you've no, played this you game. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've played it. My, uh, where we last left off, uh, my character was riding a flying elephant, <laughs> uh, holding up a spear, uh, about to face off against some unknown evil king of sorts. In the world dope. of the epic poem. Of the, that of the epic poem that he wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had made a deal with some angel yeah. who may or may not be good at that point. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. One day we will finish that game. Yeah, that was a great game. Um, we actually have a podcast of it. The Epic of Dreams. The Three Scald Saga. Yeah, you, me, and Jake. And if you want to listen to that, sorry, I'm plugging in the middle. Oh, I know please plug it in. End. Plug in a podcast. If you want to listen, if you want to listen to me try to break game mechanics in Drew's game, <laughs> then listen to that podcast. If you're getting a little weary of this podcast, you want to flip something else yeah. over, <laughs> you might want to go to that one. The first episode's one of my favorites because it's so much role play. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um... Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. Right. You roll a twenty-sided dice, mm-hmm. and then you add a number to it based on your character's sheet. Right. Right. So if you're super strong, you'll get like a plus four to strength, which means that you'll attack with your sword, and then you'll get plus four to hit the goblin to whatever you roll. Sure. So right? yeah, you roll a twelve. It's a sixteen now. Yep. Magically. But then if you're trying to do wizard stuff and you're just a big brute. Um, you'll probably have a negative intelligence score, and yep. then you'll get a negative uh, modifier to that 20-sided dice. Yep. And with Dungeons & Dragons, the design of the game, you want to get a high number, usually. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so with my game, it's, it is a little bit in reaction to uh, the, the D&D design and culture because my personal opinion, um, like a lot of the mechanics get in the way of what, you can do with the story. Um, I and would agree. Really, what I wanted to do with my game here, and this sounds like so preposterous, so pompous, so pretentious, neutral milk hotel. Um, I wanted to try and see how elevated the medium of role play could get. And I mean, I think that ties between my biblical background and everything. And, but anyways, so with this game here, you don't need dice to play. Yeah, I saw that on the back. You have like some. You have like a. You have a line here. It says, "Call the muse, ditch the dice, bring your sagas to life." Boom, boom. There Very you go. Cool. It's it's a role play heavy RPG, mm-hmm. and a lot of people when they hear RPG, they think of like their favorite video game or they Fall think out. of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah, they think Elder of Scrolls. those games where you're playing a character, right? Yes. Um, what's what Drew brings? I think with the epic of dreams is he takes he takes the the first two letters like the rp mm-hmm. in rpg the role playing part and really emphasizes it which makes it a more immersive and fun experience so as somebody who has never i've you know i've known kevin for 15 years i've never played a day of dnd in my life no which you will change. Yeah. It needs to change. We'll get there. Do you want to play the Epic of Dreams? Because we could start right now. <laughs> you want to play right now? No, we don't have time right now. Ten minutes. But five minutes. No, no, no. We don't have time. We've got to create characters and stuff. It'll be easy. Well, yeah, because that's my question is, so hypothetically, we start a new campaign yeah. in the Epic of Dreams. Do I get to just make my own character whatever I want with no rules? Or where are the boundaries? What is the... 
What's the structure? So a lot of it is sort of uh, contextualized between who is the narrator of the story. We call them the singer of tales, and that's another really pretentious term. I like it from uh, the the history mm-hmm. of epic poetry and bards and whatnot. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it depends on like the world that you're playing in, right? So the bounds of that, and then in in this game, when you make your character, you actually sort of go through four different memories that. Uh, their early life had that define um, your story stats. So yep. the whole premise of the Epic of Dreams is that if you remember uh, three different stats of your character, yep. the first one being their backstory itself okay. that we codify into a couple of different smaller stats, um, which is your dream, which is like your Martin Luther King character's dream, yep. their ideals, which is you know their values, their flaws, which is their character flaws, mm-hmm. and then their agony, which is um, the biggest sort of traumatic moment in their past, right? Like a thing yep. that haunts you. Yeah. So yeah. then you you play through those four scenes with your narrator, and then mm-hmm. as you role play, you learn who the character is, and yeah. you're sort of getting those memories subjectively, right? Right. So then you're starting to learn who your character is, what they went through, and as you're learning the details of what comes up in the story, your narrator will, will see as well, and they'll be able to highlight it for the rest of your stats. Yeah. And like, if you know that you want to play like a hunter character, sure. then like one of your memories is going to be perhaps when you and your dad went to go out to hunt the baddest bear in town because it was attacking your pigs and then your dad died in that fight. Right. And that would be your agony. Mm-hmm. Um, so then... That's your story, right? That's one of the three stats that you have to memorize. Yep. And that's a little complex, right? It's like four different uh, parts of your story. But then as you play through them, it creates the memory inside of your head. And again, if it's the most riveting play experience that you're going to have, mm-hmm. if it's the most elevated role play experience you're going to have, then you're damn well going to remember the time when you went hunting that big bear, you're going to remember what that bear looked like. Right. You remember the face of your father and the helplessness that you experienced because you could not kill that bear before it killed your father who taught you how to hunt. Right. So when you have that sort of immersive experience, it's um, intense, you know, it's very intense. There's a lot of, um, it it creates a lot of uh, emotional intensity, Mm -hmm. right. That I think helps to cement that, idea in your head and yeah and then now you are really taking on this character okay yeah i'm I'm starting to catch on so then the other two stats that you have to remember is your level which if you've ever played an rpg before you're gonna remember your level yeah yeah um it's it's the back of your hand um and then the last is called your order class which is another one digit number because in the epic of dreams level goes from one to nine and then um your order class is just based on your size, which is based on the type of creature you are. Okay. So most characters, they are order class two, uh, the order of the wolf. So there's like a totem animal that you compare each to. And if it's mm-hmm. the generally the same size and it's inside of that. And uh, while your level sort of defines how effective your aptitudes are, yep. your order class defines your physical sort of limitations so there's only so much that a man can can lift, mm-hmm. right? There's only so fast a man can run. Right. Um, and then you compare that integer number with other order classes. So like order class five is the order of the whale. Yep. So whales are... You're the size of a whale. Yeah. yeah. You're big. An eight yeah. or a nine or yeah. something. So or, the, 
or no, sorry, they're based on. So they're so your order class is that you said that was also a one digit number. One digit number. It's okay. from zero to seven. Okay. Zero is the order of the nat, yeah. and seven is a symbolic order class. And Kevin and I have argued about this in the past. And I love it. Uh, and seven is the order of God. Okay. Like big G creator. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Prime mover. Um, and and then, Drew made the mistake of one time going, what do you think of these numbers? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, no. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a very long discussion about what order class seven means. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, throughout play, your level will get bigger. Your order class will stay the same. Mm-hmm. But if you can remember... If your level is four, let's say if you're playing the hunter, okay, um, your order class will always be two, mm-hmm. and you're definitely going to remember when that bear killed your father. Yeah. So as long as you remember those three things, you can combine each of those three stats in different ways to sort of unlock the rest of your character's other stats. Mm. So then as you play more and more, uh, it's all going to become second nature. And the funny thing, the ironic thing about how I came to that place with the design of it is that it definitely stemmed from playing Magic the Gathering for so long because in Magic, there's so many what we call heuristics and that sort of mental paths that you create as you do a thing over time, Mm -hmm. Um, mental shortcuts. And with the heuristics of Magic, like now I can just look at a card, see the art. I might not remember the name of the card, but I know exactly what the card does in the game function. Yep. Um, And that's true even with a little bit of play with Magic the Gathering. With these stats, it is very straightforward. And then the the fun thing about it, too, is that um, the monsters have the same exact stats as the heroes, except they have different order classes. So then um, the bridge between playing as a character in this game and running it yourself is all very blurred and easy to cross. Right. Whereas yeah. with D&D, it's like, oh, I got to read three more books, and then I got to know how to yes. do this and that and the other thing. Yes, yeah, so so we yeah. just covered we just covered sort of the the pro the pros and cons of or I would I would actually I would say um, what what holes this game fills over something like D and D why you know why yeah. you should like basically what this um, you know this has sort of a basis in D and D but it has enhancements that that make the game a little bit more um, more accessible accessible and yeah. um, would you say accessibility as well as like immersive is the buzzword yes okay and cool. it's kind of a naughty word in yeah. in the rpg industry right, yeah. yeah broke my immersion you know yeah, well, yeah. But, what i would say about like what drew's done is he's he's shrugged off a lot of what i would consider to be sort of like the heavier weight of like 30 years worth of rule crafting that D&D has undergone cuz we're in, they're in edition 5. Yeah, right so there's now. a lot of prerequisites to D&D yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. You have to know a lot about about the game and a lot of the heuristics yeah. that you that could make it hard to be it's hard for it to be accessible to people who are maybe starting off. Well, and in in D&D like you you have a dungeon master's guide? Yeah. You got a player's guide. Right. You got a monster manual. In the Epic of Dreams, you've got the Epic of Dreams. That's right. the book that you have. The the DM, you know, your your game master, the person who's running the game, is reading the same book the players are reading. Right. So there's not as much separation. And the other point that I might forget that I was going to say is what? that, um, yes, so the design, that 30 years of game craft, um, it began in wargaming. 
So the roots of D&D began in wargaming, and then in around 80s and 90s, video games took the game design that was originated from war design off of D&D and put it into basically every single video game. Right. And now it is very interesting to see that both in 5th edition and in 4th edition of D&D, they've sort of uh, had this feedback loop where they want to capitalize and profit off of people who've been playing video games for so long. Mm. So now the mechanics of D&D and even the sort of flavor... Um, yeah. it, it it plays more like a video game. Goes towards the the video game audience, mm-hmm. and then as a result, you see a lot of players. And I'm not telling people you shouldn't play this way with your imaginary game, <laughs> but I'm just saying that what you could do with it is what I'm doing. Um, uh-huh. But a lot of those players in this modern iteration of the game treat it as if they're playing a video game. So like. You're not playing uh, Jeffrey, the hunter, whose dad got mauled to death with a bear, our, our bear bro. You're playing... Uh, That's your character now, Matt. That's <laughs> my character. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah. yeah. His you're, name's Jeffrey. <laughs> you're playing Jeffrey. A, a level four Beastmaster hunter, Beastmaster ranger. Yeah. And you have this feat and your stat is 17. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's, like a, it's like a tactical build as opposed to a person who's engaging in a drama. Yeah. Right. We're okay, and the and the tactical build that you're referring to would be akin to D and D. Correct. Okay. And well, it's, d- yeah, D and D is more subject to what we and like you played video games. We've all played video games here. Min maxing. Yeah, yeah. People will min max their characters mm-hmm. ad nauseum in D and D, and I can't tell you like I, how many times as a GM for D and D. Yeah. That I've had people attempt to min max a character on me mm-hmm. in game and tell me how the game runs uh. as their game master, which like my, the goal of playing like a TT RPG, a tabletop RPG is to get around with some friends, create a problem and solve it together. Right. And make and not, it, and amazing like, and, memories and make yes. stories. Right. right. And like, the story isn't I have plus four to this, so 17 equals 21 when this happens, and then like I get to roll extra dice because of blank, 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 blank. That's not the story that you tell. The story that you want to tell, the story that everyone's really searching for when they sit down to play this is, oh, I got, I've got this character, and you know they were out on a vendetta, but then they learned that they might have had the wrong opinion about these people that they thought they had to get rid of. Dramatic and, reversal. Yeah, well, right. And yeah. and what's interesting is Kevin will come over to my house and I'll be like, what's new? And <laughs> and instead and instead of him being like, oh, you know, not much this, he's like, oh, well, you know, yesterday I played D&D. And I'm like, cool. Cool. And he's like, so let me tell you about it. And then he gives me a 35 minute synopsis about this story that's yeah. happening in D&D because it's so it's it's right there. It's so tactile, mm-hmm. you know. So I can't stop him. He's just going. He's like, yeah. And hold on, I got one more big one. So this, yeah. you know, so my guy, my character, he goes into this dungeon and he's met with this goblin. The goblin says, "You have two options," you know. And it's and he, but yeah. it's you. You recall it so vividly. vividly because you're emotionally connected to it. Yeah. And w- which which is a, I would say, for most of our listeners, I mean, I would call that like that's the big sell of a tabletop RPG. Is you're making the you're creating these really cool stories with friends, yeah, and you are creating these memories, and yeah. and, and I think that that's that's something that's really cool that I am noticing more and more people are more openly engaging with. It's not so, and not that it was ever taboo, but it was like 
I mean, it you was. Were, it was. Yeah, for yeah. a minute. Yeah. It had it had this this connotation of like you know you and your your three dorky friends. This is the stuff. only thing you do. Yeah, it's nerd stuff. Nerd yeah. stuff. The kids from to... Stranger Things. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Nerd stuff is becoming popular stuff. Yes. Right now, you guys. Literally last week, my mom went on a Marvel lore marathon. She was obsessed with figuring out the the ontological nature of the Celestials. Stop wow. it. From the Eternals? Yes. Oh, my God. Teresa Cochran. Wow. Like, she Teresa. went through and, and did the whole, like, connecting the dots between all of the films. Like, mom. That's so cool. What timeline is this? You yeah, know? right. Exactly. Um, okay. So... My next question is you have you have this, you know, academic background, you have, you know, you have your own personal journey that you're on. Um, you just you begin crafting these ideas and these stories, you begin writing, right? What are you doing while you're also writing? You must you must have a full time job, you must be, you know, supporting yourself in some way, right? Yeah. What do you do? So uh, that it's been very fun this past year and a half. Um, so I currently am self-employed and I write articles on the internet for several different blogs. And I've been doing this for actually like just a year, like like this month. That's awesome. Yeah. And I don't know how I've survived this long. <laughs> self-employed life. Let's go. Yeah, but I mean, I'm here. It's paid to write. And uh, I need to make a lot of lateral steps so that I can continue this lifestyle. But I'm learning through uh, failing forward. And yep. that is how you do anything creative in life. Like, I have yeah. failed so much with the Epic of Dreams here. I've been working on this since 2015, the start of 2015. Mm -hmm. And I am I released this purple book you see right here. Yes. But there's so many uh, subjective mistakes that I did with it. And also just like... Other things that I did because I didn't know what I, that I what I was doing, um, mm -hmm. such that I limited the release of this edition of it, and then I did another crowdfunding campaign, and I'm still working on what we call the Basilisk edition here. Oh, so this is new. This is like uh, uh, unreleased at this point. Yeah, it's. I've been working on this for like basically since COVID hit, and uh, I'm I'm pretty pissed at myself that it's not done yet, but I. It looks pretty close. I mean, there's a lot of content in there. For listeners in front of me, I have I have two books. One is, um, you know, one is Spiral Bound. That, that's the Basilisk of Dreams. Which would you call this basically Epic of Dreams Second Edition? Is that the idea, or is it completely like another branch of the of the Epic of Dreams? I would say that this is more akin to like a 1.5. It's it's a revision. It's cleaning up what was in here. Yeah, I was just gonna go. Yes. <laughs> you know how like when you're in a band you release your ep yeah yeah so i released this big book yep. and it looks sick right like, yeah this is pretty cool again it's beautiful thank you yeah it really it's a great is beautiful is but what's inside of the it album is an ep it's not the first album and now the basilisk edition here That's is the, the the first album yeah. gotcha very cool um also we didn't actually talk about the the, the main mechanic here Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. The there's, circle. An, there's an image on the front of this book, and I'm sure I, we'll have links in the show notes to uh, I'm, you can find this online, I imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> on the front of the, the cover, you have uh, a sketch drawing of a lion in all it's a like a white sketch on black background. And around it, there is a, a series of numbers. It looks like a clock, but it actually it's it, it moves from one to 20. 
So yeah, tell me about that. And is this is this yeah? It looks like a snake eating a rope, maybe. Uh, so this is the snake of Moses, and it is beginning to devour the snakes of the Egyptian priests. The double-headed snake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about what what is the mechanic behind this image? So here? this is called uh, the Circle of the Muse, and what it is is a, a clock, as you said of 20 points that never ends. So after 20 comes one again. Okay. And mm-hmm. on this circle, um, a hero, which is what we call our players, will guess any number. They'll pick any number they want. And then based on their stats, we talked about our level before that mm-hmm. determines your aptitude. Yep. Um, they will have a modifier that grants the number they choose a range. So choose any number. 11. Cool. Um, so... Let's say you're that level four hunter. Mm-hmm. So if you're hunting, you would get full reach, and that's what we call the range, uh, to your 11. So instead of just having an 11 on the circle, your whole range would be 11 through 15 because yep. that's 11 plus four. And then um, it's a numbers guessing game where you're trying to either match or evade the number range of your narrator. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the number that I had secretly chosen is eight. And yep. with uh, the narrator, the singer of tales, their number also has a range based on the difficulty. The average difficulty is five. So from eight with five is 13. So because my range overlaps yours, it means that you are able to fire the arrow successfully into the manticore's gullet. What is the manticore? It's just like a, <laughs> oh, th- an oh, example. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> with this guy. Is that just like an example? It's enemy? a monster, it's a mythical yeah, beast. Monster. I'll show you. Yeah, it's, a it's also beast. a meme it's inside meme. of this brand. Yeah, oh, cool. And yeah. Oh, that's a meta meme. It's it's yeah. kind of that lion on this guy. the front. Yeah, it's been bastardized. Oh, it's so in modern culture. It's so scary. Like theology. <laughs> it's got a score. So so we're looking. It's got a tiger's yeah. body. The, the tail of a scorpion. I see like a human sort of like goblin head. Yep. And the lion's mane with some badass fangs. Yep. And it's about to fuck up whatever, the, you know, this random human character. Yeah. So we could talk about that. What's its name again? The Manticore. Manticore. It is a, uh, it is a Persian slash Greek mythological creature that was attested to. So it was in a Persian court attested to by a Greek man called Catesius. Um, that was aligned with uh, claims that this creature existed in India and that the word manticore inside of the etymology means man-eater. And mm. it was essentially just a uh, a foreign hyperbolization of tiger stories. Because, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, this whole conversation, what this brings up for me is, the f- is you know, this struggle... <clears throat> of being adult uh, with, you know, that child inside of all mm, of us. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because we want so badly to, you know, be accepted in culture and do what we're supposed to do. And, you know, not in, in general, it seems that most personality types are such that you don't you don't want to call a lot of attention to yourself unless it's positive attention mm-hmm. and you can ensure that it's positive attention. And for some reason in our culture, childish uh desires or childish um 
actions in general, right? Acting like a child, bringing out your inner child is like frowned upon yeah. play. as you become play. The yeah. word you're looking for is play. Thank you. Yeah. Play is instead of being play, uh, characterized as childish very often. Yeah. Because in we, the post nuclear society. <laughs> post nuclear. Well, yeah. I we're like talking that. about because there's the nuclear family from the fifties. Yeah, and, like, one, mom, everybody dad, got and two yeah. and a half children. And everybody got little boxes and then like you had your job and like when you're adult you don't play anymore yeah. like that you, you just don't do it you got to go to war or go build something or work at the factory downtown and because that's totally yeah. we labeled yeah. play as being unproductive right but it, it's the opposite i mean it's it, very productive it's super productive well and, and i mean just in a, a, a physiological sense i mean there are uh, and this is anecdotal at this point but yeah. i i i know of in my in my history and the things that i've learned and the things that i've read um, there is substantial evidence that shows that as an adult, when you play, I mean, that's really good for your brain. You're like unlocking these like neural pathways that you just don't use as a as a person. And a lot of it has a lot to do um, with like creativity in your brain, enhancing the logic side of your, of your brain and vice versa. Yes. Because what is the like uh, the best, for instance, in my profession, I'm you know, I'm a programmer, right? I'm a, a software developer. The best programmers are incredibly incredibly creative mm. because mm -hmm. you have that you you have a new way a new perspective of looking at something and problem solving so this stuff i mean is is akin to like just stopping what you're doing stopping the placade of i'm an adult mm -hmm. and i fit into this box and just opening up your box and doing something new and i yeah. fucking love it just Good. playing Magic the Gathering, my second time playing Magic. I know. And like, <laughs> it was so much fun. I mean, my mood is bad. You know what I mean? Like, I, I forgot about my phone. I forgot about all the shit that I had to do today. I think it's I really play this game. funny how many coffee professionals and people who, like, we didn't know played before told us that they played over the past couple weeks. Yeah. Just because we shared a photo with, like, the boxes. Oh, and we got the a bunch of DMs. Yeah, a bunch of people, people were like, like Oh, Whoa. you guys play Magic? MTG. Yeah. yeah. Very, very Lol. cool. Well, Lol. and the thing, what's really funny too is actually a lot of the, um, a lot of the top game developers in the world for video games yep. play uh, games like D&D, Magic Gathering. Probably really good for world building, yeah. right? And just get learning how to do that. But yeah. Better. A couple of my friends who actually worked on one of our favorite games, Destiny, uh, oh, right. play D&D &D. Yeah. and they worked on the game Destiny mm. and like D&D &D was that's like one of their supplements for like working their brain outside of that environment because mm. even developing a game like Destiny that people are going to play worldwide is monotonous after a while because yeah. you're just developing one thing you know and that yeah. applies to any other job you're just developing one thing when you have a career you're developing that one thing and giving yourself an opportunity to play mentally physically too but yeah. also like mentally um yeah. outside of your vocation is hugely beneficial mm. to your own mental and like spiritual well-being really i think that's interesting too because like just now because of the pandemic, yeah. we're experiencing this thing where it's like, oh, yeah, you are a person. You're not a corporate robot <laughs> as a culture. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. 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 We haven't been able to do that literally since like for as long as I can remember subjectively. Right. Or people would do it individually. Maybe people would come to those conclusions like, yeah, man, like, you know, there, there's so much more to this. But everybody else that was locked inside of their their world. Mm -hmm. maybe didn't have the luxury didn't think they had the luxury to agree about it or think on it like that because they were just attacking their job like 
we we came to a very unique moment where everybody stopped working all at once. Mm. Everybody reevaluated yeah. their their life and and society in general. And so everybody was able to come to the same conclusion, or at least the super majority of us, which is like, wow, there's more to life than working a job that you kind of don't really like. Mm. And the and, and and it happened in this beautiful moment where you know beautiful and evil and ugly in the same way uh, where the internet is around and we have new ways of making a living for ourselves mm -hmm. we have new creative adventures that that people can crowd around i mean the internet had brought a level of scale to some to everything that Previously, prior to the internet, you have maybe like a cool writing idea, and you like you you create, for instance, the Epic of Dreams, mm -hmm. and you go around to your your town. You say, "I I built this thing, the Epic of Dreams. I want to tell more people about it." How do you tell more people about it if you don't have the internet? You have to you have to create like mm. print ads. Yeah, you yeah. have to Newspapers. go on TV. You have to somehow get on TV. Maybe yeah. The, the yeah, it's other not, media. You could scale this so fast now, yeah. and people realize that they didn't have to stay in their corporate job. Mm. And I, I'm sorry, I could talk about no, that forever, good. but I just think it's so, it's so interesting that that the world shut down in such a way that we really did all, and we noticed it immediately. We all went, "This is happening." Everybody was able to stop what they were doing, yeah, yeah, and and reevaluate their their priorities, including, hey, play is kind of nice. You know, yeah. we all sat down and played card games together and, and uh, video games, too. A lot yeah. of people started streaming. My friend Kelly Murphy is a great example. Mm -hmm. um, she just started playing Twitch like Call streaming. of Duty. Um, uh, what's the, the I don't know. The, we don't play that one. We don't. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. But she's playing it. Yeah. And she uh, started streaming. Um, yeah. I mean, she's kind of, a yeah. she's a Twitch partner. Good. So she does her. get she does get stream revenue. And it's for not, her. I'm sure it's not uh, a whole lot. She it's still something. has a, a day job, but yeah. like she loves it, and it's just really interesting how how it's things have changed. Yeah, 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 dude. Off um, my high horse. No, you're good. Yeah, uh, that's that's all real. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's been my experience too with this. Like right now, I'm in the hole a little bit, but you got to go under to go up. That's how business uh, is. That's time. true. We're paying off a credit card that yep. we that we. We really charged that thing up almost to its max yeah, for Upstate Coffee Collective. Yeah, we did. And we're just we're we're paying that we're paying with personal off. money every month now. Yeah. We're just like, like whatever revenue goes here, but yeah. our but money. But even if you don't make a profit, it's it it's worth it. Yeah, it's yeah. your heart and soul. Yeah, yeah, right. It's something that you created. The intrinsic that you can, value of creation. You, right, and you can always refer to it because it doesn't die yeah. even if upstate coffee collective we decided kaput we're done but th it's still there we still did it we yeah. still have memories of it we still have content we have this whole podcast we still have a neon sign we still have a sweet <laughs> neon sign this is the coolest <laughs> podcast studio i've ever been in for the record thank, thank you. you thank yeah. you yeah it's uh it is my in-laws uh old table nice and a neon sign that my wife got me for christmas yeah and some I bought these uh, last year. Yeah. You know these um microphone these are dope. And it's good. Um I I do have to get going in a second. So we got to yeah, final it. questions, but I think we should bring Drew back on to talk more about games. I want a part I want a legitimate part 2 of this because I feel like we just scratched the surface. Yeah. But no, we did. And we should definitely do a part 2 of this because there's so much more go that Drew has done and been able to do like Kickstarter wise. Yeah, I mean, I apart from doing this, that, he's released yeah. it. He's released three versions of a zine. 
Oh, that's uh, cool. Which, yep, which is like you want to talk subculture of a subculture. Yeah, it's let's so talk deep. Our, <laughs> our RPG zines. I actually I worked on the third edition with you. That was I and the second one. Oh, I forgot I worked on the second one. I've thrown oh, crap, so I much, so at you, much Kevin. on that. Yeah, you. Oh my like, god, I forgot, <laughs> and I loved doing that. Anyway, yeah, we should do a part two. Uh, but um i'm gonna be in rochester next week for the super bowl so nice super bowl (laughs) so not next week you got a team the super bowl's in rochester no (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. right um my team is chicken wings that's same dude i'm team buffalo chicken dip oh you're rooting for buffalo this year (laughs) i am i mean if okay you know the super bowl's in rochester and you're rooting for buffalo (laughs) (laughs) it's fitting yeah teams (laughs) <laughs> uh, I don't even. So I know it's the L.A. Rams and the. I have no idea. I, have no I idea. don't know. Say, don't, yeah. Okay. Say, yeah. Say a name. I'm just say going a name. to see say friends. Say any name. Uh, the Red Sox. L.A. Rams <laughs> versus the Red Sox. Be a bolder member. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only reason I'm even partially aware is because I'm uh, I'm putting together Super Bowl squares. Do you know about Super Bowl squares? It's a gambling thing. You basically everybody. <laughs> it's a gambling. It is, yeah. You just like it's you, a game. Yeah, it's a game. It there is a game. That's true. There yeah. So it's uh it's a board of um it's a board of a hundred squares, yeah. right? And it is a home so you, you look at the scores of each of the teams, the the second digit yep. can be from zero to nine. Okay. So you have home and away zero through nine, zero through nine. Okay. Okay. So that's a hundred squares. Yep. And um what you do is you draw a square. I think traditionally you can actually pick. You can be like, I pick seven and nine. Oh, so, cool. And then at the end of every quarter, you look at the score and whoever has that square wins money. Everybody puts in money and then you oh, go sweet. like a little bit. Well, we took that and we turned it into a crypto project just for the fuck of it. Neat. Of course you did. Of so, course you did. So you mint one of a hundred squares. You win an NFT. No, you. Wow, oh. that's actually a good idea too. But no, it's straight up money. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually straight up. You just oh. you you mint. It's one of a hundred NFTs, but okay. it's random, so you don't okay. know what you're gonna get until you mint. Okay. So you you know you send crypto, okay. you get the square back, and if you win, you get some of the crypto in the pot. <laughs> oh, I like that. Isn't that funny? Oh, that's good. So that's Thousands of, of dollars. Uh, could be. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, boys, what's your jam this week? What are you jamming? <sighs> Um, the week leading first, up into gotta, the Super Bowl. What am I jamming up leading into the Super Bowl? I've got mine's easy. I played it for you guys. They're, they're a German metal band that just submitted their song "Pump Eskimo It." Call yeah, boy. Eskimo <laughs> Callboy. Eskimo <laughs> Callboy. Couldn't get more hipster if I tried. <laughs> oh, I'll give you one. This one's dumb. You what? ready for this? Yeah. yeah, yeah All yeah. right. So they're called um, uh, "Forever the Sickest Kids." Do oh, you I love them. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Forever the Sickest Kids. Old school. Very old Throwbacks. school. Like pop punk. Yeah. Um, or like pop. It's like, yeah, like th- 2000s like pop Were you rock. shouting their songs at the top of your lungs the other night? Oh, in the uh, basement? No, not <laughs> oh, this week. Okay. No, no. I re- Although we do always do some throwbacks there yeah. with the Guznias. Oh, I know. I hurt myself real bad. I've participated before. Yeah. <laughs> I know how that goes. It was. It's been rough. Yeah. Next episode, we should definitely talk about playlist design because it's another one of my my Ooh, favorite yeah. topics. Um, Playlist design. Super nerdy. But I'll I'll what's give you a little the, rundown. What's the background music you're playing while you're playing your RPG for your friends? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm even talking divorce from the scope of RPGs, which is a rare thing for me to do. Oh, but just playlist <laughs> design in general? Yeah. yeah. Um, But this is what's the main notes in my current playlist. Kendrick Lamar. Thank you. Um, yeah. Flying Lotus. He's got Gotta some new stuff. Um, a little bit of corn. 
and some some new metal stuff. Okay. Um, And then, so there's this guy, his name is Hunter. He lives in Florida and he's been doing all these music projects for a really long time since we were in high school. And every single one is so freaking prolific inside of whatever genre he has. So the the first one is called Silence. It's deathcore and it is the best deathcore you'll ever listen to, Whoa. some of the best. And now his current one is Mood Ring, which is kind of like um white pony-esque and it and it has oh, nice. a lot of Deftones. a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, cool. Um also I've been listening to a little more Aesop Rock. He just had a oh, release with Blockhead where yeah. they remix it. Yeah. So good. And then also, so good, man. To tie it all back together, my friends. Yes, yeah. I have like as many hits from our old local scene that I could find on Spotify wow. in this playlist. No shit. Yeah, I so went on like a week ago. Am I on there? No, no, that'd be great. I think you, Capital you Order probably are. Capital Order is on. Is Capital um, Order on there? On Not Spotify. yet. Not yet, but they will be. Grab Capital Order. Do the not the glory the glory is like yeah yeah do the glory do you have that enigmatic heart on there <gasps> that heart is so enigmatic. oh i love enigmatic heart. i yeah, remember <laughs> and burn wall street burn wall street baby i definitely have um pillow head yep. i love pillow pillow head. Head. paul paul, paul hake um and i got the nightlife mm-hmm. the nightlife. oh and classic i had some others on here wow. but Yo, Burn Wall wow. Street, yeah, is on Spotify. Spotify. Sweet, someone's paying money to keep it up there. Might as well stream it. Um, all right, and then in our mugs this week, since I have to pack up and go, yeah, because uh, I, I got a lady waiting on me. Nice, my lady, your lady She's waiting on me. Brandy, she texted me. She texted me hi, which means get home. Uh, <laughs> get home, Kev. Yeah. Go see your lady. Get over here. Uh, you have things to do. Um. Uh, in our mugs we had touchy coffee. Yeah, specifically, anaerobic Honduras coffee. Ooh, yes, delicious. Yeah, buttery. It's part. It's part of the um, friends uh, affection collection. The affection collection. <laughs> friends. Friends of with benefits friends collection. Of benefits <laughs> collection. Nice. <laughs> oh, that was good. I like that a lot. Drew, we're doing part two. Yeah, Drew. Soon. Yeah. Where can people find you yeah. on the All internet? Right. I'm gonna give you the plug of plugs right now. Plug me. The plug of I I have made a flow code page with all of my stuff, and uh, the the URL is www.flowcode.com forward slash page forward slash epic of dream. I rehearsed that so much. I love that. <laughs> but on there you can find uh, actually late pledges if you want to get the exclusive hardcover copy with the alternate art of the Basilisk edition that is coming out as soon as I can freaking finish this. Can I, I get my- one of those? Duh. I will be <laughs> I will be pledging for that. Thank you. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I also I worked on Basilisk. I know. I, I know you're, yeah. you're you told me about. It. I'm really excited. very proud of that work. You can also get a quick start pack for free if you want to see all the rules on one page. Um, we have two podcasts, which is uh, what is your quest weekly that we're doing with my buddy Cam, and we're just talking about game design and what we're work- working on that week. We mm-hmm. also have the Three Scald Saga, which features Kevin Miner and Jake Carlini of YouTube fame. Oh, I love. Do you want to hear me just nerding out? Me and Jake just we became best buds in uh, in that world. Yeah, like over the course of eight episodes, it was it's such so like fun. the perfect 
uh, antithetical buddy cop scenario. It really was. <laughs> oh so my funny. god! Has Too Jake much fun. has Jake Carlini achieved Instagram fame yet? Because he was working on. He it. is famous. Yeah, he, dude, he's knocking it out. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. Uh, he crushed it with a YouTube video. He made the world's largest Game Boy. It's insane, and it's awesome. I got to play it. Like you actually How have to hit it? the buttons with it's your hands. Big. It's it's that big. It's like a seven foot tall seven, Game Boy, seven feet tall, with a flat screen LED inside of it, and it works. It and works. it works. It feels like you're playing a Game Boy, dude. It blew my Game Boy mind. Colored. I was like, I saw the video. I was like, no fucking. Way. This is like a joke this video. Yeah. This is like he's he's, he's trolling us. Up, and yeah. then I watched the video, and I the whole the whole video. I'm just like, shout out to Jake for doing that. Like he's putting hard work into that. Yeah, I mean, everybody's <laughs> working hard on what they love right now, but like. Jake, like Jake, he really goes ham. He man, I'm he, looking him up. He like awesome. cuts himself to finish a video. Yeah, like, that's yeah, the level yeah, of yeah, strength. He really pushes himself, and like you know, what we should we should bring Jake on here too, and we should talk about what it's like existing as a YouTube personality. I'd because love to come on with Jake because it's so funny knowing him and knowing like the like how much being a YouTube personality is authentically him. Yeah, but how much of like the person that you see in the videos is a character that he's like crafting because he loves the idea of crafting it. Yeah. He's it's so really cool. awesome to so see. Cool. Yeah. He's getting so cool. He's getting like three to 5,000 views per video. Also right Drew's in a couple. Uh, Drew's in one of them. Yeah. I'm in a couple that yeah. video with Spider-Man right there. That's my roommate Garrett Lopi. Yeah. Um, he's a stunt man. He was actually in the movie cherry that's on Apple. Oh, oh snap. No yeah. Oh. He was, he was uh, a Spider-Man in there. climbing cool. suit that actually works. That got 43k. Yeah. Wow. He's crashing it. Good for him. He's very cool. It. Well, this has been like a very eclectic, very scattered, very fun, very playful podcast. <laughs> and I can't wait to have you back, Andrew. This has been a blast. It feels good to be back like consistently podcasting again, too. Yeah. Um, because I, that's just one of the many things we do. I know you contain multitudes, my friend, and so do you. Thanks. And you. Who is that? <laughs> Who's the quote again? I think that's Carl Jung. Okay, isn't it? it right? I think it's him or Camus, but yeah. I, I I know I need to learn it's, more about it's Carl Jung. Okay, I'm pretty yeah because he wrote, yeah no that is Carl Jung yeah yeah because sure. it's very uh, hero of a thousand faces mm -hmm. yeah so uh, yeah triple w dot dot com forward slash, slash page. Forward slash Epic of Dreams. <laughs> right. Good job, guys.